Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. Today's show is a very special show. It comes to you courtesy of my friend Simon Black. He writes a blog called Sovereign Man. He wrote a blog that, that quite frankly, was so engaging, I just had to share it with you. So this, today, courtesy of Simon Black. On April the 3rd, 1948, when Europe and Japan were still smoldering from the devastating effects of World War II, the U.S. government passed a massive stimulus bill that became known as the Marshall Plan. The Marshall Plan was highly controversial. The U.S. national debt was at an all-time high in 1945 due to all the wartime spending. So dumping another $12 billion, more than 25% of the tax revenue that year, to rebuild nations they'd just spent four years destroying seemed pretty stupid. But the administration of Harry Truman was adamant. Without substantial aid to help Europe and Japan recover, they were concerned yet another costly war would break out. After all, Hitler's rise to power was only possible because of Germany's economic devastation after the First World War. More importantly, Truman was terrified that if the U.S. didn't step up to rebuild Europe and Japan, the Soviet Union would fill the void and communism would rapidly spread. So the Marshall Plan was passed and Japan became one of its biggest success stories. In addition to grants from the U.S., Japan's government set out to replicate U.S.-style capitalism in their own country. They encouraged competition, loosened regulation, and a government support for giant conglomerates known as the Zaibatsu that had previously controlled every Japanese industry. Within a decade, the Japanese economy had already surpassed its pre-war levels, which is an astonishing feat for a nation that had just seen two major population centers demolished by atom bombs. By the 1960s, Japanese economic growth was so strong it began to be referred to as a miracle, and Western economists pointed to Japan as an incredible example of how capitalism can build widespread prosperity. By 1980, Japan was one of the largest, most dominant economies in the world. The Japanese economic miracle was starting to terrorize Western nations, including the U.S. Japanese factories could manufacture innovative, high-quality, inexpensive products and ship them all over the world, threatening many industries in Western nations. So in 1985, U.S. President Ronald Reagan pushed for an international agreement with Japan known as the Plaza Accord. The Plaza Accord was complicated, but Reagan's ultimate goal was to push the Japanese to strengthen their currency against the U.S. dollar in an effort to make U.S. products more competitive internationally. The Plaza Accord didn't exactly go according to plan. Instead, it created a massive asset bubble in Japan, which, to this day, they still haven't recovered from. After the Plaza Accord, Japanese policymakers nearly doubled the money supply and slashed interest rates to historically low levels. Faced with rising inflation and meager prospects to save their money, Japanese citizens started buying stocks and real estate. Interest rates were so low, after all, it was incredibly cheap for them to borrow money and invest. Property prices in Japan soared, and within two years of the Plaza Accord, real estate in the six largest Japanese cities jumped more than 40%. Property in Tokyo became more expensive than comparable property in London or New York, and within a few years, Japanese real estate was worth five times more than all of the property in the United States combined. Meanwhile, the Japanese stock market went through the roof, and the Nikkei reached an all-time high of 38,957 on December 29, 1989, more than five times higher than it was at the beginning of the decade. But eventually, the Japanese central bank grew concerned about the rising debt levels, inflation, and the multiple negative effects the cheap interest rates were having on the economy. So they slowly began to increase interest rates. The stock market dropped almost immediately in response to higher rates. By October 1990, the market had fallen by nearly half, and then it essentially stagnated for 20 years, finally hitting rock bottom in 2011 when the Nikkei index fell to a level it hadn't seen since 1982. 
In other words, Japanese investors who bought stocks in 1982 and held for 29 years would have realized zero return on investment. Through the 1990s and early 2000s, the Japanese government tried desperately to reinflate the bubble. They slashed rates, provided direct subsidies, created tax incentives, but nothing worked. Finally, literally today, the Nikkei stock index crossed a major milestone, 30,000. This is a level it had not seen since the bubble started to burst in 1990. Yet even still, Japan's stock market would have to increase another 30% for it to surpass its all-time high set in 1989. There's an important lesson here. We're living through a worldwide financial bubble right now. Central bankers around the world have expanded their money supplies to record levels, slashed interest rates to historic lows, including negative interest rates in many countries. Their efforts have pushed asset prices, especially stocks and real estate, to record highs. The stock market's no longer about picking well-managed companies with high-quality assets. Nearly all stocks have been rising, even companies like Coca-Cola, with shrinking businesses and declining revenue. The stock market is merely a bet on whether central bankers will continue to succeed in pushing asset prices higher. In a way, they're handing out free money by engineering gains for everyone holding stocks in real estate. It's also possible they're able to keep this up for another few years. And there's nothing wrong with speculating on this as long as you fully understand the risks. But bubbles always end. They can last a long time, years, sometimes even decades. And the longer they last, the longer people think the bubble will continue to last. Investors start to believe that property and stock prices will go up forever. The bubble will never end. But again, they always end, often suddenly and viciously. Central bankers may try and engineer a soft landing, but as the story of Japan shows, policymakers are sometimes helpless to prevent a major crash, the consequences of which could last more than an entire generation. Wow. I want to thank Simon Black for writing such a beautiful piece. Definitely check out Simon Black at SovereignMan.com. That's SovereignMan.com. In the meantime, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.